My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name's Coleman. And I'm Mitchell. Welcome to our first podcast. As I said, dedicated to reviewing and discussing uh, every book in the Animorphs book series. Uh, it's a book series that we both read in our childhood through high school. Not not in high school. I think by high school, I was a little too cool for reading books. So uh, I, that's where I kind of dipped. And that's why I never finished the series in its, in, it, uh, in its initial run. I didn't actually finish reading the uh, the last couple of books until around 2009 when uh, when I was at film school with you. That's the first time I finished the series. I think I just basically had a series of books that I would just cycle through. You had, you know, you had your Harry Potters, you had your Michael Crichton books, Dinotopia series I read when I was younger, uh, the novelizations of that, and then I had the Animorphs books. So uh, I would go out and buy new books as well, but I would always cycle back to, you know, this first five to ten, the random seventeen. To be clear to our new listeners who are thinking that they're coming into a podcast of seasoned Animorph readers, uh, that would be a lie. Oh, yeah. There there are books that both of us haven't even read yet, and that's why we're so excited to do this, is to read those books that we never got to read. All the, uh, all the, all the, all the side adventures and the filler <laughs> that I deemed not worth reading. In my initial run of the series, ah, oh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Looking at you, Helmocrons. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So we've we both read pretty much all the K. Applegate um, written ones, and then there's just a huge section of ghost written ones that we uh, we both probably missed out on. And to any brand new listeners out there who are raring to pick up uh, the first book and don't know anything about Animorphs. Uh, Kay Applegate, the author, she wrote books 1 through 24, I believe, and then 25 through 31 were ghostwritten, or 32 were ghostwritten, then she came back, wrote 33, and then 34 through 52 or 51 were also ghostwritten, and then she finished the series. And then all the uh, side books were written as well by Kay Applegate, so... Right. Well, and you bring up a good point. Um, if anybody is uh, listening to this at home, uh, I would highly encourage picking up your, your Animorphs book, whatever one we're talking about for the week, and uh, reading along, if you have that option, if you have the book available to you. We'll be talking about the first book, uh, The Invasion, today, uh, a little later in the podcast. We wanna want to get you acquainted with your your hosts. I don't know what you could guess our ages are from listening. I don't know anything about you, 13. dear listener. Um, I assume we sound young or younger, but uh, I think it's important to note that we are doing this podcast as adults in their late twenties who are socially equipped, uh, have I'm steady, 26. 
We're both 26. I have um, a fiance. I didn't want to. You're revealing too much. The Yerks, <laughs> the Yerks are going to find us. <laughs> but I don't have a last name. It's important to note uh, until you look at my bio. Also note, I, I don't have a fiance. So that's, that's noteworthy. Um, but we, but that no, I think that's important to I think that's important to say that we're we're both uh, college educated adults who live in the real world. We pay bills, and uh, we still thought it was worthwhile to uh, to go to back re-examine the Animorph series. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we both already obviously we've already read the first book and we've already started back into it, and uh, I really still don't understand how this was so quick to be classified. As a, well, I don't know what they classify as nowadays, an intermediate series or a young adult series. Or... I think it, it could be considered a young adult series by today's standards, just yeah, considering guess... the violence. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just don't understand um, what. <laughs> it's like, I well, understand, it's I understand like... movie ratings. I understand movie ratings. But with a young adult series, I mean, you got Ender's Game, you got The Animorphs, you got all these other books. There's genocide and, and war and guts hanging out and stuff. I, I don't know where the line is. For books i guess i don't know all right well let's uh get right into it i want to talk about uh how i found the animorphs books real quick i started reading animorphs uh back in 96 probably 97 i can't remember the exact year i know i was in kindergarten in 92 but i digress anyway <laughs> it was it was it was animorphs and uh goosebumps that really kicked off my whole love of reading and um yeah goosebumps did come first but animorphs was right there and and they always had a way of gripping me more than the Goosebumps ever did. Uh, I think it was just because Animorphs was written so much more, you know, intelligently. It, it was for kids, but it didn't it didn't seem like it was for kids, just based on the subject matter. I mean, it's just some really deep, dark stuff. My first run-in with the Animorphs books were at those uh, scholastic book fairs that used to come around to elementary schools. I don't know if they still do that at uh, at today's present elementary schools. Although I work in an elementary school, so I should figure that out. <laughs> mm. i don't know when um like would you do you know when uh like what grade you were when you started reading them or it had to have been at least i want to say fourth grade i think i think third and fourth grade was when i was really into goosebumps and probably fourth going into fifth is uh when i discovered the animorphs books and you know i, I like i said i'd seen them around at the at the scholastic book fairs the covers were always very intriguing to me because I, I really liked animals, grew up with a kind of a crazy animal lady for a mom. So we were always getting like really exotic animals like raccoons, iguanas, squirrels, possums, goats. Did you uh, did you have a wildlife rehabilitation center in your backyard? No, but my mom did have a uh, <clears throat> a uh, children's kind of educational program and i'm not kidding you it was called karen's critters and she used to go around to like schools like elementary schools and bring in possums and foxes and raccoons and squirrels for for kids to play with oh it's, it's not it's not opossums it's just possum uh it can be either <laughs> <laughs> uh after i after i found the animorphs books uh that's that's really what got me into reading and uh i've never never truly forgotten that and even when i went to college so many years later when i found a friend who shared the same interest uh of the animorphs book series that i did that's that's how i knew we were gonna make it that's how, that's how i knew one day we'd end up here 
doing this podcast. <laughs> That's the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to me. It's the most romantic thing. I don't know when exactly year-wise um, I started, but similar story, you know, uh, we'd always see them in the uh, book fairs that came to the school, Belpuri, Ohio Middle School, uh, seeing other kids in class read them. Uh, I specifically remember when I was just reading the first books, I must not have started right at the beginning because uh, of the publishing dates and stuff, because um, I remember seeing a classmate reading The Discovery, uh, number 20, and asking him if I could read it, because I'd only read like the first two or three, and he was kind of a douchebag and wouldn't hand it over. So other than that, I got most of mine at Walden Books, and I was kind of reading other things like you, Goosebumps, um, you know, just other things of that nature. I think everybody read those two series in tandem. Sideways stories from Wayside School. Oh, my gosh. Sheesh. Oh, that was the greatest series. We should do a Sideways Stories from Wayside School podcast after we finish up this, this whole Animorphs thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just Let's just wrap this Animorphs thing up before we... Start talking about our sequel podcasts. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, like everyone else in the world, uh, Animorphs was one of my first book series. It was a huge impact on reading and uh, just wanting to be a writer and everything else. Uh, even though I didn't really go the novelization route, but Animorphs definitely pushed me pushed me into that. All right, cool. You want to hop right into it now? You want to get into it? Yeah. Okay. bodies were now hosts harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. They're after you! They're after all of us! Our wives, our children, everyone! They're here already! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! So today, obviously, we're reading Animorphs number one, The Invasion. And the uh, covers got a little boy transforming into a lizard. Spooky. Would you care to read us the back, sir? Yes. Uh, for new listeners, which is everyone, we're going to, you know, read the back of the books. Uh, it's the most nostalgic summary I could think of uh, for each one before we jump into a discussion of the books and and kind of you know launch into a little review of uh, of each one. So. Without further ado, uh, here is the first summary for The Invasion, Animorphs book number one. Sometimes weird things happen to people. Asked Jake. He could tell you about the night he and his friends saw a strange light in the sky that seemed to be heading right for them. That was the night five normal kids learned that humanity is under a silent attack and were given the power to fight back. Now Jake, Rachel, Cassie, Tobias, and Marco can transform into some of the most dangerous creatures on Earth. And they must use that power to outsmart an evil greater than anything the world has ever seen. Whoa. So you're, uh, you, let's point this out right away. You are reading the reprinted version, the, the most recent one. Do you know when they started reprinting those? Uh, I believe last year or a couple years ago. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's irrelevant information. But anyway, the, the latest reprints, uh, feature new covers and uh, some edited content, specifically what you just read, the back, was uh, a little bit different from what I've got over here on the original book copy. 
nothing too earth shatteringly different, but yeah. And I was, I was going to point that out um, for everyone listening in. I made a point to, I've read the invasion so many times. Uh, it's probably the one I've re- reread the most uh, in my past, just like pretty much everyone else. So I wanted to actually, you know, grab, grab the reprint, uh, see the changes, at least for the first book. And uh, about halfway reading through reading that summary just now, yeah, I noticed it was pretty different. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is the this is the first book. This is the starter to the series. Um, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's let's see why it launched uh, this pop culture phenomenon known as Animorphs. Okay, so uh, the invasion starts out with the the main cast of characters all getting together at the mall um, through various circumstances, which aren't entirely elaborated upon the book starts out it's narrated by jake uh the the soon-to-be leader of the animorphs i think we'll be able to say without spoiling anything obviously we've got a lot of these uh starting chapters to go through with each podcast uh most of which are just reiterating what happened in the last book or yeah the the animorphs book series has a tendency to to use the first two to three chapters kind of recapping what's been going on in the series. Although I'll, I'll, I'll give them that they, uh, they do make them as entertaining as a recap can be. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've always appreciated there's, there's little character moments we have uh, with whoever's narrating that we right from the beginning, even start seeing a little more into who they are uh, straight from the start, which, cause I mean, these are, these are basically cold opens um, to try to entice you to, buy the book you know standing in barnes and noble or whatever you're doing well and it does a good job of uh of of catching up readers who maybe haven't read the entire series or skipped a couple of books uh i i never felt like i didn't know what was going on in the plot of any of these books it's like a recap at the beginning of an episode of a tv show you know they'll they'll give you the parts that are pertinent to the book you're or tv show you're about to read or watch where the hell you're doing <laughs> Like all fiction, or all, all great literature, this one starts at the mall. Well, right off the bat, uh, we're introduced to uh, Jake, the protagonist. Some would say probably the main character of the series. Jake's hanging out with his best friend, Marco, who is uh, beating him at video games, despite Jake owning a Sega at home. In the reprint, he's uh, playing a console so I guess it would leave it up to us to assume a PS4 or an Xbox One. Man, I, yeah, I can't believe they didn't. I can't believe in the the reprint, K. A. Applegate didn't write Xbox One. <laughs> 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 right. So Jake and Marco hanging out. Uh, they bump into uh, just some kid they know from school, I guess, Tobias. Uh, and and Jake specifically mentions. Um, I think the first time he met him. Tobias's head was in a toilet getting bullied and and Jake kind of saved him and from that moment on Tobias sort of uh thought of him as as his friend I guess. <laughs> yeah, so we have we already have this, you know, instilling in our brains that uh even though Jake is super humble about it in the book, you know, he's he's already a protector. He's already, you know, standing up for human rights in the bathroom. I, I thought it was really funny that um, Tobias's whole introduction to the series, given how important of a character he is, I mean, and how much growth he has throughout the series, his his introduction is kind of oddly brief, and he only has two lines of dialogue, which I thought was kind of funny. His, his two lines of dialogue are, what's up, and 
So, like, maybe I'll walk home with you guys. Those are his two lines of dialogue, and then it's like, okay, Tobias, join the group. This is an RPG. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, we're using our uh, foresight. Or, it's not foresight. It's, uh... Foreskin. <laughs> we're uh we're using our future knowledge of the series to you know put bias on this scene to bias <laughs> i think they wanted um i think they wanted him to be standoffish not just in the nerdy sort of way but uh you know they wanted his character to be separate from the main group and, and he is right from the beginning oh and they go to great lengths to stress the fact that you know tobias was always distant but he just had this look about him like like he was different you know who who would be you know staring up at the sky while walking like that's a type of person <laughs> yeah <laughs> well anyway the uh the the rpg group expands to three and then they move along down the mall and find uh uh, Jake's cousin Rachel, the hot girl, I guess. I don't. Who I guess is pretty, but I don't think of her that way because she's my cousin. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, but but Cassie with her is is totally Jake's type. Oh, and I want to talk about this as we discussed before we started recording. I thought this was uh, I thought this was pretty um, forward thinking of K. A. Applegate in '96. I mean, it wasn't that taboo. For there to be a interracial relationship, but it's still, you know, you still had people out there who were, you know, turning their nose up or, uh, you know, bigoted. Hey, they're they're not dating or anything yet. I think it's a little early to be pointing something like that out. Jake flat out says he likes her, which you know he, you know that's that's gonna lead to something. He's there. We're setting up a love interest as much as. All right, we got we gotta get we gotta get K. A. Applegate on the phone and get her a uh, Pulitzer Prize. You win those for, for, for writing things, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying, if Animorphs was written today, I think uh, I think in that scene, Jake would have been a little happier that Tobias wanted to tag along. And uh, and that would have been the love interest for the 2000 millennials. Oh, God. You are the worst kind of shipper. <laughs> I'm not shipping anything. I'm saying Kay Applegate... Uh, She's with the times, and she's she's always looking ahead. The the whole action of this book is is literally just the kids at the mall hanging out, and then they decide, oh, let's walk home and take a shortcut through this convenient abandoned construction site. Oh man, I hope any aliens don't show. Oh, wait a minute, the next plot point. <laughs> <laughs> of course, while while trudging through this construction site, they just happen to see a uh, magical spaceship up in the sky. It's nothing magical. <laughs> I'm kidding, but um. <laughs> it really is a spaceship and it crashes and of course being young children i think anybody in that situation would probably run towards the crashing alien ship i i don't know how realistic that'd be because you know i'm i'm definitely one of those type of people who uh you know I'll, I'll, I'll look for the occasional ufo to validate you know that belief in my head that you know something's out there i want to believe uh but but who knows you know, if you actually saw a ship coming, I think I would immediately assume it was just newer technology, like human human technology. Well, yeah, and that you know that would that would probably be the most people's reaction until, of course, they they get up to the the ship and then <laughs> it opens up and a dying alien comes out that looks something like a blue 
deer centaur with a giant scorpion tail. I always thought of them as kind of scorpion tails. So uh, they are met by this dying alien, which uh, turns out to be called an andalite. Very important. Add that to your your terminology, your term list. It's going to come up again. (laughs) And in fact... Uh, this this dying Andalite is uh, probably one of the most important characters in the entire series, and he does get lots of character development in later books. But for right now, we're kind of given the bare bones. He's a dying alien. The Andalite basically just goes on and warns them about the invading alien species called the Yerks. Pretty much anyone who's read the books know uh, the Yerks are the the main force of evil throughout this series. They're they're parasitic aliens that enter through your ear canal and control your brain and memories. And um, the Yerks have set their sights on Earth, is what the Andalite reveals. So Jake goes into the spaceship, and I like the fact that uh, he actually sees a picture of the Andalite and his family. Not only is that a cool moment to think like, oh, well, the aliens are kind of just like us. They have families and whatnot. But knowing who these characters are that are the Andalite's family for later in the series purposes, it's it's just it's a cool little Easter egg. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, after Jake retrieves the blue box from uh, the Andalite's ship, the Andalite bestows upon them the ability to acquire animal DNA, and then use that to morph into said animals. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is this is obviously the crux of the series. I mean, this is the, oh, this yeah. is the event. Um, and this is your meat and potatoes. Yeah, and it's, uh, it never, it's interesting that it never really goes into, uh, you know, how this technology exists, why it's activated by one person with the morphing technology and, and passing that through. Um, there's actually a moment later where they, you know, another character who's yet to be revealed tries to explain it and they, they literally blow him off because they're bored. So we, we never, we never learn anything about this technology for the most part. So after the, uh, so after, after the, the teens acquire this morphing technology, that's when the bad guys show up. There's, there's a lot of alien races to commit to memory because they'll be popping up throughout the entire series. We've got taxons that resemble centipedes, except giant and hideous and full of hunger. And uh, after that, we've got Hork-Bajir, which are tall, lizard-like creatures with blades like lawnmowers. (laughs) Or salad shooters. Or salad shooters, whatever. But for right now, let's leave it at taxons, Hork-Bajirs, and uh, Andalites. Uh, Speaking of Andalites... Uh, I thought it was unique and uh, and pretty cool that the big bad, as he's revealed in his huge blade ship, which you know is like a big battle axe coming down, um, he's revealed to be an Andalite, just like the Andalite we just saw. And whereas the first Andalite we were introduced to was, uh, you know, someone who smiled with his eyes, and as he was dying, he was noble and heroic. I mean, they say right from the beginning, this guy just feels bad i mean he's he steps down even though he's got an andalite body exactly like the other one uh you can tell you can tell he's he's not he's not gonna be fun visitor three actually morphs because being an andalite he's got that that his host body can do that as well uh and that's what makes him such a dangerous enemy 
is the fact that he's the only enemy thus far that can morph as well, which he demonstrates right off the bat by morphing into a gigantic creature and eating the dying Andalite. Kind of uh, unnecessary at that point since, you know, Elfengar's already dying, but... And this is the first morph we see in the entire series. This is, you know, some huge creature coming out of this other crazy alien and, and the kids are, you know, pissing themselves behind a stack of cinder blocks, basically, watching all this unfold. Yeah. Although uh, I do like how they they added in the little section where Jake almost feels compelled to rush in to try and, you know, I, I don't I don't know what he would do, but <laughs> I think he I think he says he wants to rush in and, and punch him or something. Punch Vizu three. But uh... they're kids in a construction site and aliens just showed up and then now there's death in front of them. And that's that's the series in a nutshell. I mean, <laughs> You've got these innocents, you know, going to war. Uh, I, I think the series in a nutshell is is the end of this book, the Yerk Pool. But we'll get to that. <laughs> What's next is uh, the they they run like hell from the construction site. Not not surprisingly, and uh, they are chased a little bit. Um, so the controllers are aware of the fact that there was some kids at the construction site, but they don't know who. But we have a character, uh, who sounds familiar to them, shout for their, you know, their heads. That would freak the poop right out of me. So after, after, uh, after their daring escape from the, uh, construction site, we cut to the next morning where, uh, Tobias comes over to Jake's house. And uh, Jake is like waking up with, you know, almost like a uh, like a hangover, basically, from the terrible night to uh, to to his his friend, Tobias. And we get one of the many parts of dialogue in this book that it's I'm just trying to convince myself it was a dream or, you know, just just one of them talking about how the other one's crazy and and then someone morphs in front of somebody else. And so the uh, the first morph between our main group of protagonists here is Tobias to a cat. I think Jake handles it pretty well. Uh, this random nerdy kid turning into a cat in his room. Basically, all that all that does is prove to Jake once and for all that this is not only real, but they can, you know, use this power. Like, he's he's figured it out. It's, it's a real thing now. <laughs> and uh, to prove it, Jake goes ahead and uh, morphs his dog, Homer. One of the things we skipped over is the fact that uh, Jake's big worry before, you know, aliens invaded his life um, was he didn't make the junior high basketball team that his brother was a star player on. And uh, he was really worried that Tom, his brother, uh, would be pissed or angry. I, I, didn't, I never really got what he was worried about, but I guess um, I guess he was worried Tom. Yeah, Tom would be disappointed that his kid bro didn't follow him into the. Uh, major leagues of high school basketball you know stardom well that's a that's actually all immediately next right after jake morphs the dog uh his brother tom comes in remember and he asks you know where'd jake go and uh he, he there's a weird moment where uh where he's kind of unnecessarily cruel to a dog even for a controller i think <laughs> that's what happens and then we cut to uh they're having a, a family dinner and this is when uh, yeah, like you said, Jake has to tell his brother he didn't make the team. And uh, at first, Tom's like, "Oh, what? I didn't. What are you talking about? I don't even care." 
And then Tom reveals, Tom reveals that he's actually quitting the basketball team. And uh, that is some very alarming behavior as far as Jake is concerned. From there, everybody goes to meet at Cassie's to discuss, you know, the morality and just the plausibility of trying to use their powers to fight the Yerks. They're just debating basically what they should do at this point. Yeah, and we get another scene of another character not believing you know, it was anything but a dream, and then Cassie sidles up as a horse. <laughs> the first time Marco sees anybody morph is actually Cassie demorphing, and uh, Cassie's apparently very artistic about her morphing. They they really make a point to point that out, that she's uh, very skilled at the art of morphing. I always thought it was funny that they, they peg her as the best morpher, uh, and she does have this kind of artistic control over her morphs because she likes animals. I mean, it doesn't really, uh, I, I guess maybe you could argue that, uh, she can picture them better. Like she's, she's more empathetic to maybe how an animal feels or, uh, or looks or muscle structure or whatever, either way. So yeah, they're, they're conversing in the barn, uh, about ethics and stuff. And, uh, while they're, while they're standing around to debate this, they hear, uh, police sirens and uh, there's a cop car driving up to Cassie's house midway between morph, and she looks like a freak of nature because every time they morph, it's a, a several-minute process. Bones breaking and, and rearranging and organs moving. It's not a beautiful or nice transition. It's it's an American werewolf in London transformation. Uh, it, it looks like it should be painful. The cop shows up, and the whole point of uh, of of him suddenly appearing is uh, to reveal this information that the cops are looking for for some kids that were lighting off firecrackers at a construction site. Which is a great cover story if you had, you know, four alien spaceships land in a wide open space. Uh, I think anyone seeing that would immediately think uh, fireworks or, you know, something similar. But anyway, the, the the cop really just serves to show that, you know, the controllers have already taken over the police force. They've, they've, they've infiltrated, you know, higher-ups within human society. So the kids realize this is not going to be as easy as a task as we had thought. And they, you know, they need to, they need to mull it over a bit more. <laughs> and that had been one of, uh, you know, Marco's main points is that they need to find someone... Uh, who's more in charge or, or someone with more responsibility than them uh, to tell and so that you can, you can take it out of their hands. And, you know, seeing that a cop is a controller, uh, th that's the definition of authority. So there really is no one but them they can trust. Yeah, Marco was always very against uh, the idea of them becoming the Animorphs, which ironically is a, a term that he coins for them. And um, even though he he is very much against them risking their lives and all this, um, well, he's he's just very uh, very dedicated to his father after uh, after their family has lost their mother not too long ago. You know that's where his mind's at is he can't let anything bad happen to him. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, later then at Jake's house, back at Jake's house. Uh, Tom invites, this is when Jake and Marco are there playing uh, games, and uh, Sega. Tom invites, <laughs> Sega, Sega! 
this is when Tom invites Jake and Marco to a meeting of the sharing, which is another term you can file away in your your Animorphs vocabulary. And uh, as soon as Tom does invite them to check out the sharing and leaves, Marco tells him flat out, I think your brother's a controller. And Jake just up and punches him. <laughs> which which is uh, that's kind of cool because it's, uh, you know, I think that's an overreaction in most of our minds but it's not in this world that they've come to live in you know he's he just basically uh accused his brother of being you know you know not being his brother how much more offensive can you get with someone everybody's gonna have their slice of tragedy by the end of this series i'll tell you that <laughs> we we call that uh we call that character development in k applegate's books so of course after they they slug it out a little bit and they they have their talk. Jake still has his doubts, obviously, and uh, he, he really, it's more just he doesn't want to believe that his brother's a controller at this point. Um, so they, I think at this point, they tentatively decide on checking out the sharing meeting with the rest of the group. But uh, at this point, Tobias shows up in a brand new slick red-tailed hawk morph, which he just so enjoys. Oh, he goes, he goes on and on and on about how he loves the hawk and how it's it's just so exhilarating and so much better than his life and <laughs> this is this is the moment where i'm sure 95% of animorphs readers learned all about thermals and what thermals are i never had any idea about thermals until i read the animorph series <laughs> oh yeah and i will forever uh anytime i'm near an ocean or uh, in a parking lot on a hot summer's day, I'll be thinking about those thermals and uh, and how great they probably are to the perigen falcons and, and red-tailed hawks flying above me. <laughs> uh, thermals. I wish I could pour them into my bowl of cereal in the morning. It sounds like a bowl of cereal. You know, like crunchy thermals. Cinnamon toast thermals. <laughs> so uh, Tobias and his hawk morph informs them uh what he's been up to lately which is scouring the skies well from the skies to the ground looking for yerk pools and uh, i had totally forgotten that this information was revealed in this manner uh basically before the andalite elfengor died at the construction site he kind of thought beamed tobias a bunch of information which uh as a writer that's a little, it's a little expositiony for me. So I, I had totally forgotten that that information was delivered in this way. But whatever, shrug, it works. Uh, so, so Tobias basically just informs him that um, the Yerks have to feed from what is called Kendrona rays every three days, and they do this by leaving their host bodies and entering what's called a Yerk pool. So he's on the lookout for this Yerk pool and brings that to the team's attention. So basically, we get another piece of information as Tobias demorphs in the room uh, after Jake's scolding is that, oh, yeah, clothes don't morph. Oh, yeah, very important. So this, uh, this is the first of many, the first of many hilarious hijinks of nudity uh, <laughs> and skin tight clothing. I always thought, because they, they, they do leotards later throughout the series, but. Um, did, did the guys, did they need to wear like a full body leotard or, or were the guys just kind of in shorts? 
No, no, no. The guys, no, the guys were. Uh, they specifically say the guys wore biking shorts and like really tight t-shirts. Right. They they should have at least sprung for uh, matching leotards, maybe with like the the A symbol em- emblazoned on the chest. You know. That's that's Marco's. That's Marco's line of thought. Yeah. So they we learn this little slab of information about morphing clothes. Um, and after that, uh, everybody goes to this meeting of the sharing. I always thought the sharing was a really cool concept for the series because unlike, um, you know, invasion of the body snatchers or anything like that, we don't just have people, um, you know, being trapped in rooms with the alien force and then being taken over. We have a boy scoutish, uh, group set up where the possibility of voluntary hosts, uh, you know, comes about. And so, you know, like they say in this book and others, um, a yerk with a voluntary host has, you know, both the host and him uh, have privileges and and it's just much easier. So the whole idea of this cult uh, slash Boy Scout slash club, um, I just thought that was a particular ingenious uh, concept uh, in the series. Indeed, sir. Well said. Yeah, the sharing, it's full of dicks. I mean, they're they're out to get young human bodies all they want. Yeah. So so yeah, so they get they get to the sharing and they uh they try to fit in. Yeah, for the most part everybody's kind of convinced that uh that they're they're all normal people and they're not really any problems there. After Tom's eye twitches at a uh at a horrible moment for keeping his cover. Uh, Jake morphs into a dog, convinces the others that, you know, something's going on, and uh, he checks out this full member meeting happening down the beach. And comes to find out that uh, the familiar voice he heard at the uh, construction site was none other than their assistant principal, Chapman, um, who is a prominent, important character for at least the first couple of books. (laughs) He's, He's important for... Quite a few of them. He pops up in and out. Well, at this point in the book, he's very important. He's like the number one controller at this moment, besides Visor 3. Um, so, yeah, they, they discover that, you know, their assistant principal, somebody they know and see on a regular daily basis, was the one person who was like, kill these kids and bring me their heads. <laughs> very disheartening stuff. And that's... uh Ultimately, what what leads Jake back to his friends kind of feeling pretty crummy. And while Jake is sulking as a dog and and lets himself go to the dog's happiness, uh, yet again, or at least not yet again, for the first time and not the last, Cassie decides to go check on something in her human form and uh, and is discovered. Um, Not full out, but uh, she's definitely noticed by the cop who came by the farm earlier and uh it's not a smart move on her part so after their after their wonderful meeting of the sharing jake is only uh further convinced that you know he's got to take some sort of action so the idea that they decide upon is uh for him to morph into a small lizard um and use this morph to follow the assistant principal Chapman in the school and see if they can't find any, you know, pertinent, valuable information to him. I love the hubris they have at this point. Because, 
I mean, obviously Marco doesn't have it because he's against everything and, and he's cynical and everything's going to go wrong and he's 100% right. But, um, you know, I, I love the fact that their first mission was checking out this whole sharing thing. Went horribly wrong, about as wrong as it could go. Um, and, you know, now they're like, oh, our second mission, Jake's going to morph into a lizard and go check out this. Like, it makes no sense. There's no logic behind it. There's no planning. Uh, it's just... I like that. I like that it's just a bunch of really dumb kids playing superhero. So as a lizard, Jake kind of loses himself. Uh, this is, I think, one of the first times where, well, no, he lost himself as a dog. That's true. But as a as a lizard, it's, it's considerably different than losing yourself. <laughs> it's a constant occurrence throughout the series. But this is the first time we see uh, what they call, you know, a prey animal and how overpowering uh, its instincts can be right yeah so immediately jake takes off down the hall and uh he does things that are no one in their right mind a human would do like eat a spider and he ends up uh losing his tail somebody steps on it and it pulls off of his body lizards are able to do that luckily luckily the shoe that tore off his tail happened to be assistant principal chapman Oh, right. So, yeah, from there on, he's able to follow him into a... I thought this was weird. It's like a janitor's closet, I guess, at the school that basically just has a door in there that leads to the yerk pool. But uh, he doesn't actually go down into the yerk pool right now. The screams from all the people shouting for help kind of deter him from that. And, in fact, I think he goes on to have nightmares about that. Oh yeah, I mean it's the first the first description of a yerk pool uh from someone who didn't even go down into it uh was it sounded a lot like what he thought hell would sound like. Yeah, and that's um, very much how I imagined it would be. Yeah, but they still don't <laughs> as we see later, you know, they don't have any concept of what it really is or they would have never you know, plan well, to go I, down I, there. I just don't think they expected the the size and scope of the whole operation. I think they were they were literally expecting like maybe a swimming pool, but which which I don't you know I don't blame them completely for. I mean, the entrance is in their school. How big could it be? Yeah, exactly. So uh, after discovering the location to the Yerk Pool, um, I think they might <laughs> have gotten a little bit of a confidence booster from that because now the the team decides it's time to acquire some battle morphs mm. and uh i i had truly forgotten how uh how fun and funny this little section of this book is yeah it's our it's our first trip to the gardens which is like a um bush gardens you know yeah i i always thought of it as bush gardens <laughs> yeah roller coasters uh a wildlife zoo and uh, all mixed together. So Cassie's mom works at the garden, so she can get in for free, where the others have to pay a discounted price or something. And at this point, I was wondering, well, why didn't they just morph birds and fly in like they do later in the series when they're smarter? Well, I think they're still pretty unfamiliar with morphs, and it's not it's not their natural instinct to think, oh, what morph are we going to use to get into somewhere? They just <laughs> not think, yet, but the, yeah. name of the, the name of the series... <laughs> Uh, yeah, right now they're just like, oh, we have to go to the gardens. Let's hop on the bus. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so that's what they do. And within a, a bus ride away, uh, they are walking through the, the behind-the-scenes areas of the gardens, 
on their way to acquire some uh, some big animals. And the first one that they encounter is a uh, gorilla. And I don't know who at this point was uh, intending on acquiring it, but um, Marco is the one who ends up acquiring it. Well, they, they make a little joke on how Jake, you know, he says, um, you know, he's worried about Marco in general just being on board the Animorphs. So he makes a little joke of saying he knows how to handle Marco. Uh, so he he tells Marco he should you know sit this one out, and Marco's like, "What? No!" <laughs> he jumps in immediately to get the. Well, I really like the next part where uh, Jake ends up acquiring a tiger through uh, a very unfortunate set of circumstances. They they basically get chased all around the gardens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get into a Three Stooges uh, sequence. The guards show up and they immediately take off and run, uh, and they split up. Jake's decision. Probably one of his first leader moments of telling them to split up from the security, you know, guards. And uh yeah, they run into a tiger. Him and Marco run into a tiger enclosure and uh do not realize it until it's basically sitting on their ass. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. But uh Jake does manage to acquire it safely. And uh knowing that when they when they acquire an animal, it becomes docile for roughly 10 seconds um i i think that would that give me a little bit more confidence yeah and they, they found that out earlier so it's probably the only thing that saved them <laughs> after they uh get their battle morphs jake and marco uh they meet up with everybody else um who had zero trouble getting away from the guards and acquiring their own animal battle morphs which we don't find out what are what they are yet <laughs> nope so uh after acquiring their their battle morphs basically um everyone meets up later and uh at this point they discover that cassie has been captured oh no <sighs> yeah and uh, i mean it's so weird with this first book is uh a lot of these weird uh kind of contrivances of you know, events that just move the plot forward, like Cassie being captured and Tobias getting thought beamed uh, information uh, really don't show up throughout the rest of the series, uh, at least not this blatantly. Uh, just in this first book, they, they move the plot forward with some some kind of random sequences. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely take a, take a couple of shortcuts as far as writing goes. But I, I think, you know, when you're writing for kids and especially if you're trying to reach this certain amount of page numbers or whatever you you do have to keep the plot moving you know yeah i guess well so after they discover that cassie's been captured that basically spurns them into this whole final act sequence where jake is like all right we gotta go yeah they were they were gonna go to the york pool anyway uh but but cassie being captured uh puts you know a time limit on it so yeah and it it, it basically makes it so that they can't back out now now they have personal stake in it yeah so they so they arrive at the school they find uh you know they find an open window um and what else could go wrong tobias shows up in morph yeah <laughs> already morphed ready to go uh who knows how long he's been like that at that point the team essentially is in this situation where cassie's being dragged off um they're they're not a hundred percent prepared, but I don't think they ever really could be prepared for what they're about to see. So they, uh, they, they, they 
go into this uh the door down to the yerk pool that they discovered and it is probably like the closest description you know you could be to actual like hell in a biblical sense just so many people crying and and terrified and totally utterly defeated um just people in cages all over the place and uh not just humans but they they mention that there's you know the hork and there's the taxons there's all the the alien species there um this this is quite literally like home base for the yurks at this moment this is their their yurk pool and it is gigantic uh he says it's he says it's bigger than the mall at one point oh yeah he says he says basically you could fit a couple uh, you could fit a few Super Bowls in there, and then uh, and then the the mall and their school on top of it. Um, so it's it's probably close to the size of their entire town. I would say this is the first time they truly despair uh, at how insignificant the five of them are. Especially with yeah, they have Morgan powers, they have all that, but any alien race or just anyone in general who could build some humongous cavern underneath a town completely unnoticed i mean this is when they first realize what they're really dealing with right yeah and they even mentioned that there's there's a bunch of uh (laughs) there's there's construction equipment down there earth construction equipment which just seems out of place with how terrible and and alien this place that they're at uh appears to be yeah which is basically a huge cavern tons of shacks and little office buildings and things around it uh, a cafeteria all these you know aliens and and human controllers are like running around cages with screaming humans and then the giant pool itself uh filled with like you know what they they described as molten lead looking uh liquid and then two steel piers uh going out into the middle of the lake uh with lines of people on them after entering this this terrible terrible god-awful place um and and being able to blend in at least somewhat um for the time being uh they they managed to spot cassie being dragged by the police officer um towards the the uh the the yerk pool the um the pillars that you mentioned and uh not pillars the piers 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 not pillars piers yeah she's she's being dragged uh up one of the piers which one is for uh, offloading your yurk as a controller, and then uh, your host is taken to the cages. And then the one that Cassie's being dragged to is uh, where you would be dunked into the molten lead-looking water, and a yurk would uh, enter forcibly into your ear. So when they see Cassie, they finally they 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 get eyes on her. Uh, Tobias proves his usefulness by you know being able to keep an eye on her with his his hawk vision, which is quite exceptional <laughs> and uh they basically they just witness the processes you know of of a person uh dumping a, a yerk out of their head and then immediately just starting to scream and cry and and shout at them for you know for for mercy and for them to let her go and that you know she's a free person and all that there's a great moment too where um they notice the cafeteria and the eateries and, and places where um, you see hork and, and controllers milling about. But you also see a special section where uh, voluntary hosts are waiting for their yurk to 
finish, you know, sucking up Kondrona rays. And uh, there's just this great moment where uh, Jake, who knows Tom is down there somewhere. He, you know, asked Tobias, who has this great vision, like we said, you know, is he one of the voluntary hosts or uh, or is he in the cages? And Tobias is like, yeah, he's in he's in the cages screaming his head off. So just yeah. a little insight that, that Tom. I don't, I don't know why he would have thought his brother was a voluntary controller. Well, I just but... think it's just a fear. I mean, like you if 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 his brother was a voluntary host then he had no idea who he was i mean at that point you're not even family i mean that's just well that's, yeah that's that's a real fear i would say yeah but you know they they didn't even know that voluntary hosts were a thing until they got there <laughs> which is it's kind of hard to even imagine why anyone would do that to themselves voluntarily but well no they they make a good point uh later on of you know a lot of the voluntary hosts they you know there's tons of people out there who are just willing to give up control to be a part of something or even might even just think it's cool you know they don't realize the horror of what they're agreeing to and then just go along with it there's some weak people out there jake sees cassie about to be you know downloaded with a yerk and uh obviously that's not gonna happen so uh this is this is kind of the the huge climax of this book here everybody goes battle morphs and this is where we get to see uh marco's first time as a gorilla jake's first time as a tiger and uh rachel uh unveils her battle morph which is an elephant (laughs) it's quite surprising uh i didn't really see that coming in fact i thought her first morph her first battle morph was the grizzly but that doesn't come till later in the series and it's 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 a funny moment where they go behind a shed and they're like, okay, let's go battle morphs, and they're immediately uh, found by a controller <laughs> who walks along. They're quite immediately found out, but uh, not that it really matters because they basically have to go ballistic to save Cassie here, and they're just taking anyone and everyone out in their path to do so. <laughs> yeah, once they start causing chaos, they start opening. Marco with his gorilla morph starts opening cages. Uh, Cassie goes horse for some reason. I guess she doesn't have that many morphs. But did she, did she not go anything at the gardens? Did she not get anything at the gardens? Apparently not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe she thought she'd have more time to collect a proper battle morph. I don't know. I can get into the gardens for free, so I can just go back there and get a battle morph whenever I want. Well, yeah, she doesn't have to pick a battle morph, you know, with the commoners and the riffraff. She can she can do it behind the scenes later. Yeah, so Cassie goes horse and is basically worthless from that point on um, in the entire series. Well, she doesn't go horse just quite yet. I mean, um, uh, she she gets saved by everybody first, and then they have to kind of at least make sure they're out of eye shot, you know, a little bit before she can morph. But anyway, so okay, so yeah, they're they're all in battle morph. They're fighting. Cassie's a horse. Tom is out of his cage. They're they're feeling pretty good at this point. They're they're ready to go. And Visor 3 shows up. And this is where we get uh this is where we get our first uh Andalite Bandits reference, right? Yes. Well, here's the thing. Uh this is basically the 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 point of the series where uh either the Animorphs will all die horribly and and become, you know, either dead or controllers themselves or what actually happens Vizzer three is a dumbass <laughs> and he he 
he does several things to pretty much ensure his failure here. He makes the assumption that the Animorphs are Andalites. He never really considers that they could be human. Though at this point, to be fair, yes, at this point, he wouldn't have a reason to suspect that. But still, uh, you know, when when your successful human mining operation starts to <laughs> have some some opposition, you're going to you want to analyze it a little bit more than jump to assumption. You have to think that, um, you know, it might not even be standard procedure to carry around a Escafil morphine device on your, you know, fighter. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think they, they knew that Elfengor had the morphing technology on him at the moment or, or could have even given it away to any humans. He ultimately displays uh, uh, just a poor choice of a morph to ensure his success, I think, anyway. Um, a giant, eight-headed, fire-breathing creature. Uh, it, it, it's certainly maybe effective uh, uh, battle morph, but um, in terms of, you know, stopping these, these four or five uh, various Andalite bandits... In one fell swoop, uh, he kind of falls short on that area. I feel like uh, I feel like Visitor Three has a bunch of morphs. Obviously, he's traveled around the universe, uh, gathering these insane morphs. I feel like he read about them in a book, and he's never tried any of them out because, I mean, you know, he can kill anything, any uh, known controller, uh, with his tail. So, like, you know, I'm sure he's not morphing every five seconds. He scares a lot of people with his morphs throughout the series. No, he, he's not like the Animorphs. He's not using his morphs for, you know, reconnaissance and, and information gathering and stuff like that. He's solely using them for fighting, for killing, really. This could be the first time he ever morphed that. So if I was, I, I can side with Visitor 3 a little bit on this. If I had this morph and I knew about it and I had, you know, sat up late at night, you know, giggling to myself about all its crazy weapons and stuff, I would think an eight-headed monster that shoots fireballs out of its mouth would be a you know, he'd have a good shot at killing a tiger, an elephant, and a horse. He would, but um, probably I think the thing that did him in is since I would assume he is less experienced with morphs um, than, you know, Andalites or even the Animorphs later, um, I would think that this crazy-ass alien's instincts probably took over and uh, uh, he, I think, maybe lost himself a little bit. That's that's a really good point. No, that's a, that's a really good point. I don't think I've ever thought about uh, Visitor Three's uh, animal instincts taking over before. Yeah, because I don't I don't know where he'd you know get the time to practice a morph like that anywhere. I mean, I guess maybe he could do it up on the Yurk pool ship, but um, probably not. <laughs> they call that uh, they call that Friday uh, up there on the Yurk mothership. <laughs> so after visitor three goes ahead and, and transforms into the most unnecessary creature for stopping <laughs> several animals, uh, the animorphs obviously escape. They, they, they get Cassie back and they, uh, lead the charge of, of freed humans and Hork Majir. And, uh, Tom is there. It's, it's a, it's a very triumphant moment. Everyone's escaping. Everyone's running. Everyone's happy. Well, happy as they can be in that situation. And, uh, you know, it seems like they're about to escape. And uh, by the time they reach the exit, their numbers are just, they're nothing. They they have one person. Cassie managed to save one person. And that's only because that person held on 
held on like hell and, and rode Cassie out of there. And Cassie was a horse, so it's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I do want to take a moment and uh, bring up, I don't know, I don't know if I would say it's incredibly dark, but I think it could be construed as that, uh, where they get out, they're safe, you know, they're talking, um, and Jake's, you know, narrating for us about what happened in the, you know, the coming days after the York pool and how nightmares they're having and all that. And it talks about how Cassie told them that the police officer who took her down there wasn't a problem anymore. So <laughs> did Cassie straight up murder a police officer? <laughs> well, you know, during all that, all that chaos and everything within the yerk pool, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> so the, 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 the dude probably, yeah fucking got hit by a dracon beam or something during all the chaos i'm sure you got hit by a fireball or rachel accidentally stepped on him or something or on purpose stepped on him um but i i but i love to think that on their way out uh before cassie went horse um she like jumped on this guy's back and snapped his neck <laughs> oh, okay i'd like to think that as a horse cassie just straight up ate the guy <laughs> yeah yeah they're all they're all fighting uh you know jake's like swiping at people hork left and right blades flying in the background cassie's just slowly eating a police officer as a horse <laughs> <laughs> uh so there's really only one more more one more uh little plot point uh to the book um we we get to uh the next morning and, and and I always thought it was messed up how Jake has to go home and, um, you know, he, he lays in bed in his house and, and he's got to, to deal with Tom again, who's there. Yeah, well, you know, he, he witnessed true horror. I mean, something that most of us will never do uh, in our lifetimes. And so he's laying in bed. Uh, it's dark. Um, he's he's getting ready to go to sleep and have all these nightmares about the year pool. And his brother shows up, you know, not in his room, but he hears him come home. The next morning we get a great, great cliffhanger ending for the book. Uh, Jake is woken up by a tapping on his window. And it's, uh, of course, a red-tailed hawk whom he lets in. And it's Tobias. And guess who stayed in there more for longer than two hours? Which, if you've been paying attention, is the time limit for how long they can stay in morph. Anything over two hours, and they're trapped forever, which is now the case for Tobias. Uh, I think if I were Tobias and I was in the rafters, I know security has probably been ramped up after an attack on the York Pool, and Visitor 3 is still running around, probably eating and setting things on fire. You know, if I knew I was getting close to that two-hour limit, I would still, up there in the rafters, like, hang on to something and try to, you know, morph back to human so I'm not trapped. Uh, but I guess maybe there's just, you know, too many eyes. I... Just imagine it, it's, you know, it's like he could have been anywhere. He could have been <laughs> underneath a, a little bed in the uh, the controller uh, section, you know. So after Tobias uh, basically reveals himself <laughs> trapped in Hawk Morph to Jake, uh, the book just kind of abruptly ends. And I think it was it was a great ending. It definitely made me want to grab number two and and rip it apart no i know i love i love the ending to the invasion because it's uh it's jake he he knows tobias strapped he even says so in his head but he's still like tobias come on demorph stop stop joking around and tobias like well i guess this is me now and it's just like 
Ah, uh, Kay Applegate, I know you needed to make this whole time limit thing real, but you just trapped a kid in a bird <laughs> for the rest of the series in the first book. <laughs> so I, I think it's no surprise that both of us highly regard this book as, you know, one of the, the great books of uh, not just this series, but, you know. No, 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 you're, you're getting ahead of yourself. I think now we can we can talk just a little bit about it. We've been going on pretty long for this being the first episode. But um, I think we should, you know, take a moment each and uh, like we'll do at the end of every book, uh, probably more so in depth with the next ones as we get used to the format and how long we can get through, you know, just talking about the books. But um, I think we can separately, you know, kind of give like a little mini review of uh, what we thought. I mean, this is the first book. This sets the tone for the rest of the series. Did you like it? Did I like it? Yes, I loved it. Out of a, let's say, out of a possible, um, uh, uh, I, w- I would say, for a rating system, out of a possible... <laughs> out of a possible 10 zeros, how many zeros do you rate it? <laughs> <laughs> 10! No. 10 of them! Uh, I don't know what rating system we'll, we'll come up with eventually, but um, I, I would give this the highest markings an Animorph book could get 10 out of 10 yeah i mean i give this uh i give this 10 out of 10 zero spaces um this is as a as a first book in a series it's great it establishes everything uh the you know the exposition isn't too horrible in setting up the universe uh a couple goofy parts but but you really get uh i think a real sense of reality with these kids just being absolutely horrible decision makers jumping into this way too soon uh not planning anything not practicing anything well jumping into war yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, as a book itself i mean uh the best thing about it is the structure i mean it's it's perfect as far as like moving from event to event and then you know getting their battle wars and and you know earlier cassie meeting a police officer who's gonna come back and it's just it's very well thought out uh in the outline stage or however uh they wrote it but i was really impressed with the structure and and if they do make a movie or adapt this again into a new television series i mean don't try to put your own mark on it i mean this this would right away it'd be straight ready to go into a screenplay i mean it's it's perfectly formatted already yeah i i think Maybe they just need to work on a little bit of the uh, transitions flowing together um, in terms of film. But as as a book, yeah, it, it all works great. And uh, Yeah, and they need to take into account the rest of the series somewhat. You know, uh, One thing I liked about my reprint uh, that I read for the first time with this one is the fact that when, when we have Elfangor and uh, Invisor 3 meet at the beginning of the book, uh, Visor 3 says, you know, nice to see you again instead of nice to meet you or something. Uh, because obviously later in the series, it's revealed that they have a past. So uh, I really appreciated that as as a fan of the series, reading this again for, you know, almost the you know sixth or seventh time reading this first book, if not more than that. Um, it's It's been re-canonized. But no, uh, great book. Can't wait to read the rest of the series. It's already been it's already been difficult and it's it's going to be even more difficult to not just blow through the series especially when uh we start getting to the books we haven't read. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm such a big fan of the series and I know it so well and I know the universe so well and how it ends and all the chronicle books. I mean, it blows my mind that I never tried to read so many of the books I've never read before. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely quite a few that um, I, I just really don't even know what to expect. I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to us ramble and and you know dissect. Oh, and... please, please enjoy it. Yeah, I, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, you know, I hope that we get better. <laughs> We're just we're we're fans of podcasts and we're uh, huge fans of Animorphs. We were already doing this before we decided to have a podcast, just constantly talking about the mythology and the universe and concepts. Yeah, it was basically the whole idea stemmed from, hey, we like talking about things. We're we're kind of good at it. We should just record it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I I constantly listen to podcasts at work and and you know on set and stuff. So it seemed like the smart thing to do. And there there's not really, I mean, there's some great reviews and essays out there but uh from what i've seen there's no other podcast so you know why not and i'm just i'm really excited about having uh being a part of the uh animorphs community on reddit um which is still quite active surprisingly for a series that ended you know very long well, that, ago that, the uh that speaks to the series i mean this series obviously i mean we're adults uh that aren't you know, crazy introverted or socially awkward uh, or anything like that for the most part. And uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> somewhat. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we still talk about this series. Yeah. And uh, just, just from browsing all the, the, the main topics at r slash um, Animorphs on Reddit, um, I can see that the, the Animorphs fan base and community is still very active and still very passionate about the books which was another big incentive for us doing this podcast is just because it seems like everybody just loves talking about Animorphs. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast and uh, we're going to definitely continue whether you listen or not. Oh, and in the future, uh, we would we would like to do like a, uh, uh, not necessarily a Q&A session at the end, but we'd like to read uh, listener emails um, you know, uh, let us know if you, if you disagree with what we're talking about. Um, if we uh, give any wrong information, feel free to call us out on that. Actually, probably don't do that. Yeah, keep that to yourself. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll try our best to uh, uh, to be the fans you want us to be and, and to keep discussion uh, lively and entertaining. We will, we will try to be the podcasters you deserve and the ones you need. Batman reference. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we'll we'll have emails in the future. We'll have, you know, audience interaction. I hear that's it's popular nowadays with the kids. So that's that's the podcast. I hope you I hope you listen to us next time. And uh, I'm Coleman. Oh, and I'm Mitch. Join us next week when we review the second book in the Animorph series, which is The Visitor. So thanks again. <laughs>